Hey, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll spend some time there, and then we'll go over to Ephesians 2 as well this morning. We're in a series entitled The Heart of a Disciple. We kicked this series off last week, and what I did is I laid out three postures of the disciple's heart. Posture one was acknowledging the, the sovereignty of God's grace. Posture number two was turning from foreign gods or putting away foreign gods. And then posture number three was inclining your heart. Or I gave you three easier words to better understand this. Grace, repentance, and affections. Grace, repentance, and affections. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look deeper into the first of those words, grace. And then over the next two weeks, we'll look at the other two words, repentance and affection. So today we're going to dive deeper into grace and understanding when we hear this word grace, this word that is a common word both in our New Testaments and in the language of the day. The word grace was used in many ways uh, with with many definitions. And today we're particularly talking about saving grace, the, the grace that brings forth salvation. And so today my hope is that you would understand God's sovereign grace better before you leave. Let me give you a definition of grace right here at the beginning before we move into anything else. And then I'll try to prove my point. Grace is the unmerited move of God in your heart that awakens you to salvation. Grace is the unmerited move of God in your heart that awakens you to salvation. Now this morning as we study Ephesians chapter 1 and as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, Uh, Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that there are words in this text and there are ideas wrapped up in this text that have actually been quite divisive in the history of the church. My hope this morning is not to produce division, is not to uh, um, split us into camps that have been split for hundreds of years now. My hope this morning is that we can unify under something that Paul and really the Holy Spirit, wanted us to see. For some, there may be a tension in this text. I would submit that the Holy Spirit was clearly okay with the tension. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written it into the way that he did. Our hope today is not to split into two camps. The hope today is to understand the power of God's grace and how all of this is rooted in God's love, his love for us. As we'll point out, it's written right into the text. Now, the author of the text, from a human perspective, was Paul. And Paul, the uh, famous writer of the scriptures, the famous apostle, was a guy who grew up in proximity to scripture. He knew the Old Testament very well. He probably had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Paul was a student of the scriptures. He knew the Bible certainly better than any one of us. And Paul, the the great writer of the New Testament, who was a great studier of the Old Testament, was a Pharisee, somebody who was in close proximity to all of the things of God. Perhaps you know the story. Paul was against Christianity. He was against Jesus. And one day, Paul, in all of his intellect and all of his knowledge of the Bible, yet missing out on relationship with God, was riding on a donkey on the road to Damascus. And in a moment, he meets Jesus and he ends up on the ground. Later, Paul would reflect on this moment. He would do so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. I'm going to hop over there in my Bible real quick. 
And he would say these words, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul could very clearly say, it is by grace and grace alone that I am what I am. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would help us understand a little bit more why it is that he wrote, By the grace of God, I am what I am. See, what Paul teaches us, just studying him as a person, is that proximity to Christianity, proximity to Scripture, understanding the Bible from an intellectual perspective does not awaken one to salvation. What uh, awakened Paul to salvation was grace. And it's by grace I am what I am, he says. In Ephesians chapter 2, we'll actually start here from uh, our study of Ephesians, and then we'll go back to chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul uses these words to describe the state of humanity, or to describe the state of, of, of people who are now in Christ, who they were or what they were before Christ. He uses these words, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul says you were dead. He's picking his metaphors carefully. He does not say you were sick. He does not say you were almost dead. He does not say you were at your last moment. He does not say you were corrupted. He says you were dead. You were dead. The spiritual state of humanity prior to Christ, prior to grace, is dead. Now, here's what I know about dead things. They don't do anything. Dead things are incapable of moving. Dead things are incapable of responding. Dead things are dead. That's why they're called dead. Paul says, you were dead. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. One of the issues in teachings like this, and when I say one of the issues, one of the issues you may have, and you might not say this out loud, but deep down it might still be in there, is you still think, well, I wasn't dead. I was dead. I was sick. I was, I was almost dead, but I wasn't dead in my trespasses and sins. Now, Paul says, you were dead. You're dead in sin. Dead things don't move. Dead things don't respond. Dead things stay dead. Now, when we think of dead things, there's obviously a lot of things that could come across. One, one thing that might come across is roadkill, right? When you see roadkill and you look and you say, that thing's dead. That thing is really, really dead, right? Now, if you had a dead um, thing, a roadkill on the side of the road, uh, your first response probably isn't, like if you saw it moving, you might think, well, it's not dead. But if you, if you could clearly see that it is dead, there's nothing you could do to make it not dead. I have a friend who... Uh, mutual 
friend through a friend that does this with roadkill. Okay. I mean, I really don't even know what to say. It's pretty, isn't it? Happy Valentine's Day. This was actually the card that I got Lindsay today for Valentine's Day. That was a joke. Okay. Um, You can dress up dead things. You can make them look as beautiful as you want. Guess what? It's still dead. No matter how much you dress it up, it's still dead. No matter how much the, the, the person puts on religion, knows the scriptures, does righteous acts, pretends to be a Christian, or is in proximity to Christianity, that you, we can wear all of the clothes of Christianity and all of the clothes of religion and still be dead. Because what makes us alive is not the clothes that we put on dead things. What makes us alive is when breath comes back. Paul says, you were dead. Paul would later say, I wore more clothes than anybody. If you could clothe yourself to make it appear like you were alive, and if anyone could, Paul says, I did it. And I was still dead. It is by grace I am what I am. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And some of you right now are like, well, not me. Yeah, you. That's what it's saying. It's saying all of us were dead in sin and we uh, and we're, were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were following the evil one among whom we all, all in this text, if you look it up, it actually means all among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature term known as total depravity, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's as if Paul is saying here, everybody was dead in sin. Uh, Last week I talked about choosing your teacher, right? Choose to follow Christ. Like that was part of it. It's as if Paul is saying here, everyone was dead in sin. Everyone made their choice. And you know what we all chose? Not God. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. That was our state. By nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I've made this joke before. We're going to write a kid's album around here called Children of Wrath. First song is going to be Total Depravity. We're going to teach these kids from an early age (laughs) who they are. If you have kids, you know it. (laughs) You've seen the depravity. I get texts from Lindsay, like, Reagan is living out her full total depravity right now. (laughs) 
So that's the state of humanity apart from grace. That's yours. Apart from grace. Dead in sin. Now I'm going to come back here to Ephesians 2, but we're going to go back over to Ephesians 1 because now I want to try to just show in Ephesians chapter 1 the beauty of God's grace. And the first thing I want to do is I just want to show you all of the things that God does. All of the things that God does in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Us. You're going to see this front on us. And the us that he's talking to there are those who are in Christ. Anyone who is redeemed, anyone who is saved, whatever word you want to use, that's the us. Who has blessed us. So the first thing that happens is God blesses us. If you're in Christ today, it's you. If you're not in Christ today and you uh, come to Christ during this morning, then it's you who has blessed us. So the first thing that God does is he blesses us. And he blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he what? Chose us. We just sang about it in the song, the opening song. I am what? Chosen. It's all over our songs. Once after this sermon, you'll never be able to sing again the same way. Because you're going to see it is written into almost every song we sing. The initiating love and power of God's sovereign grace. He chose us, he says, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Let me take a second and stop. This, Paul is saying, he uses this word here, I think, for a moment, because later Paul's going to get in arguments around this. There are going to be arguments of what he thinks people are going to say, and he's going to respond to the arguments in Romans about some of what we're, we're teaching on this morning. But Paul's saying this, all of this is actually God's love. This is the proof of God's love. Like, this is love. In love, he predestined us. Predestined means pre-decided. We don't need to do gymnastics. Predestined. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of what? His will. This whole verse or this whole sequence of verses is all about uh, our salvation and what we have in Christ. Up to this point, what have we done? Nothing. Nothing so far. But God, what has he done? He's blessed and he's chosen and he's predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of what? His will. In other words, what determines what's happening here? God's will. God's will does. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. What's determining what's happening? His will. To what end? His glorious grace. Here's where the second tension point comes in. The first one is we don't think we were actually dead. We think we were just kind of dead. The second tension point is we still think we matter more. To the praise of his glorious grace. Yep, I'm sorry to say, even your salvation isn't even ultimately about you. Even your salvation is ultimately about his glorious grace. And it's good for us that it is. Why? Because this is what love is. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. By the way, in modern language or in modern understanding, we would say something like this. In love, I made a decision to step into the family of Christ according to my will for my benefit. That's how we would say this nowadays. That's not what the scriptures say. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, this term blessed, actually, in some of your translations, will say accepted or received. In which he accepted or received us. And he didn't accept or receive us because we did anything to be accepted or received. He accepted or received us, Paul says later, when we were still his enemies. He accepted or received. He blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption. If you ever wondered where we get the name of our church, look no further than right here. Ephesians 1.7. In him, we have redemption. This is where we got it. In him, we have redemption through what? Through his blood. It's like anytime we get something, Paul just reminds us, oh, and here's how it happened. It was because of him. Through his blood. His blood is the payment of our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of our sins. His blood was the payment for our redemption. His blood sealed our redemption. His blood is how we are redeemed. His blood. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Let's recap. God's done a bunch. What have we done yet? Nothing. which he lavished upon us. Let's talk about lavished for a minute. Poured out plentifully. I love Chick-fil-A. You love Chick-fil-A. We all know we love Chick-fil-A. La-di-da-di-da. But if there's one thing that's wrong with Chick-fil-A, what is it? When you order a French fry, how many do you get? Four? Maybe five? Okay. It's the only time anyone's ever mad at Chick-fil-A. You get it, you look, you're like, what is this? You go to Five Guys, what happens? They literally give you a garbage bag full of French fries. They're like, can we help you take that to the car? Okay? Satan is in French fries at Chick-fil-A, okay? Jesus is at Five Guys dishing these things out. That's what I need all of you to do. Go to Five Guys today, get French fries in the name of Jesus, and be reminded of the power of grace, okay? (laughs) We're having Justin speak at the conference who owns two Chick-fil-A's on Saturday, but don't tell him about this, okay? God lavishes grace. Because at the end of it, you never go, wait, that's it? At the end of it, you go, wait, there's more. There's more. There's more. I mean, what happens when you get five guys' fries? What do you do? You end up passing some of it out to somebody else because there's so much. What do you do when you get grace? You go, I've gotten so much, I can just pass it out to everybody else. He lavishes upon it. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of what? His will. Who made it known? He made it known. 
In other words, we don't have to go to like discover something. He makes it known. The mystery of his will, according to what? His purpose, which he set forth as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and on earth. Okay, let's just recap. Column one, what God does. He blesses, he chooses, he predestines according to his will, by his grace, through his blood, which he lavishes upon us, which he makes known, which he sets forth, in which he unites all things to himself. Why? For his glorious grace. This is a passage talking about your salvation. And it's all about what God does. Oh, and here's what we get. That's column two. Here's what we get. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing. We get every spiritual blessing. We haven't even done anything yet. We get every spiritual blessing. We get the peace of Christ. We get a hope that can never be taken. We get to know the love of God. We get the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We get to bank on every promise that God has ever made. What else do we get? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. We get to be holy and blameless. You. You. Me. You get to be holy and blameless. People who were dead in their sins and trespasses. Some of you, you have grown up in an environment where you in your deadness clothed yourself in the most beautiful and you thought you were alive, but you were just a possum wearing a pink dress. You weren't alive. You were just dressing the part. But in Christ, we actually begin to become holy and blameless. We get to wear the holiness of Christ, and we're blameless, and it's not because we do anything. It's simply because he takes on all of our blame and gives us his holiness and blamelessness. He carries the shame, so we don't have to. That's what we get. What else do we get? In love, he predestined us for adoption. Adopt. We get adopted into the family of God. We get welcomed into it. I won't spend too much time on this metaphor, but just imagine a foreign adoption where the child is adopted from uh, parents and, uh, and the entire environment of that child's life is completely changed. And the parent never even meets the child. The parent just says, I want to adopt that one. And imagine five years later or 10 years later, the child bragging about how they were adopted. And what did the child do? Simply got picked up by the parent. We're adopted into the family of God according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed that in the beloved. In him we have redemption. So now we get redemption. That's the next thing we get. We get uh, the, the price for our salvation is fully paid for by someone else so that we don't have to pay the price. So we get redemption. And then after that, we get forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future, were granted forgiveness. Your sins, my friend, are forgiven. You have been redeemed. 
They can't be held against you anymore. That's what you're given. And then if you go down a little bit further, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We get all of these things right now, and God says, let me throw something else on top. It's like a little bonus at the end. I'm also going to give you an inheritance. I'm not just going to give you all of this stuff now. I'm also going to give you an inheritance. And I think he tells us that because if you knew you were getting a big inheritance, it would change the way that you lived and spend right now. If, so, if I said to you, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you $500 million next year, you say, sign me up. Right? And it would change the way that you lived right now if you knew that it was an absolute guarantee. And then Paul later goes on and he says, I'll give you a down payment of the inheritance the Holy Spirit. And so every time we have a glimpse of Holy Spirit presence in our life, every time we experience the Holy Spirit in worship, every time we open up the scriptures and it cuts to our heart because the Holy Spirit is illuminating it, every time we sense the Holy Spirit speaking to us through something, that is just a glimpse of what we get in heaven. It's a down payment, he calls it. So let's review column two. Here's everything you get. Every spiritual blessing made holy and blameless. You get to be adopted. You get redeemed, forgiven, an inheritance, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, what have you done so far? Nothing. <laughs> it's a good deal. God does all of these things. We receive all of these things. Oh, and by the way, in verse 13, Paul finally alludes to what we do. He says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So what'd you do? You heard, good for you. <laughs> right, great job. You heard, and you believed. That's what you did. So there's column three. What you do. And there's a summary of all of it, just to make sure that we're clear on the ledger. There's what God did. There's what you get. There's what you did. You heard, and you believed. That's a good deal. Now, back to Paul for a second. Paul had heard. Paul had heard many times and in many ways. Paul knew the scriptures. Paul knew that the scriptures point, um, were, were pointing to something. How come Paul never believed, even though he had always heard? Why did Paul believe? But by grace, I am what I am. Because grace is the unmerited move of God in your heart that awakens you to salvation. Grace is why you believe. Grace is what turned your dead self into something that could believe. Grace is the difference between hearing and not believing and hearing and believing. 
Because Paul makes it pretty clear. This is your state apart from grace. He says, and you. So let you there for a second mean you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, in whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, period, end of story, you're dead, dead things don't move, dead things can't do anything, dead things don't reach out, dead things don't wake up and say, I think I need to do something different. This dead state isn't really working out for me. Somebody else, another human, can find a dead thing and dress it up as much as they want and try to make the dead thing look as good as it can possibly look, but it will still be dead. But by grace, I am what I am. Or as Paul will say it right here, but God, but God, He moved when you couldn't. He breathed life when you were dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you. Why did he save you? So that he could say, look how good I am. Look how good he is. Why? Because you were just a dead possum. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Stop boasting about your salvation. Stop thinking you have something to do with it. Stop giving yourself an ounce for credit. It was grace, and grace alone. I don't know about you, but the only thing that this can make me do is go, why me? Why me? I'm no less prideful than somebody else. I'm no less prone to sin than somebody else. If I asked you today, I will ask you today. Why are you a Christian? And why are you a Christian? Answer it. Bet my house, nine out of ten answers started with these two words. Because I. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'll get to that next week. But there's a better answer.
Because Jesus, he saved me. And I don't really know why, but he did. And the only places that that can lead me is in humility to say, I don't know why me, but thank you. Thank you for not leaving me dead. And so all I am is yours. All I am is yours. You know where else it leads me? It leads me to this place of knowing that I've been adopted. And so now that I've been adopted, it makes me run to my father who loves me and brought me into his family and say, Father, there were more kids at the orphanage. Let's go get them. And now because I'm in proximity of relationship to my father, he might respond to my prayer and bring more in. And so that's why I preach. Because today might be your day, friend. Today might be your day. Grace has awakened something in your heart. And today's the day that you say, yeah, I want into that. And you step in. This just makes me so happy. And now I'm not. And he did it all. <laughs> That's good news. You know why else it's good news? Because there's not a person in your life. See, sometimes we think it'll be easier for the dressed up possum to come alive than the really naked, ugly one. But the truth is, both the dressed up possum and the one that has nothing on are both equally dead and equally apart from God. Are you following what I'm saying here? Both the religious person in your life and the person who is so far in the deepest sin are equally far from God. Both of them are dead. Neither one is alive. Which means I can look at the person who's got all of the religious fervor on them and they think that they're alive and know that they're dead. And sometimes we think, oh, it'll just be a moment for them. But this person's caught up in this sin over here. So they'll never, no, 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 no. I don't care if they're in this line or this line. Both things. The only thing that's going to matter in either one is grace awakening them to salvation, which means I don't have to be scared of any sin or anybody's past because you're no different than the religious person who shows up to church every Sunday wearing their clothes but still dead. Only one thing will change either one of you. Grace. And so people will say, I'm so sad. Why are you so sad? Because my, my friend, they're so far from God. How do you know? Because they do this, this, and this. 
Let me tell you about your other friend who's really far from God. He shows up to church every Sunday. He brings his Bible with him, and he never swears, but his heart is so dead. Be just as scared. But by grace, I am what I am. Um, maybe what this would help us do is the next time somebody says, hey, why are you a Christian? You go, I don't know. But Jesus brought me to life. And just let it stop there. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I pray that this understanding of grace would do exactly what Paul intended it to do, to wreck us to a place of complete surrender, to motivate us, to invite others into the family, to humble us, and to take no credit for that which is fully yours to take. May this understanding of grace do that for us. Because the heart of a disciple that understands grace in this way is now open to whatever it is that you would ask. But where it is that we take credit for our salvation limits our ability to fully surrender to you. Thank you how in love you moved when we couldn't. Thank you for grace, Lord. May we understand it better today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.